My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. I am the good shepherd, says the Lord. I know my sheep and mine know me. This is the gospel antiphon for today's Mass, the fourth Sunday of Easter. And the fourth Sunday of Easter is one of these Sundays that has a special title, a special name. We have Gaudete Sunday, we have Latare Sunday, we just had Divine Mercy Sunday, of course. We have Easter Sunday, we have these different Sundays with a special feast or a special theme that we celebrate. And today is one of those. Today is called Good Shepherd Sunday. Because whether we are in year A, year B, or year C of the liturgical cycle, of the Sunday readings, the gospel on the fourth Sunday of Easter always has to do with Jesus as the Good Shepherd. It's always from some part of John chapter 10, where Jesus portrays himself as the Good Shepherd. What a wonderful thing, Lord Jesus, to remind ourselves of this Sunday and and frequently that you are the shepherd of our souls. You have care for our souls. You have care for our whole life. And you're a good shepherd. You're trustworthy. We try to stay close to you. We try to follow your lead. We come to depend on you. And that dependence is something very good. Jesus said again, Amen, I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and slaughter and destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it more abundantly. This is the promise of our life in you, Lord Jesus. This is the promise of our life with the Good Shepherd. You came that we may have life and have it more abundantly or have it to the full, as other translations put it. I came so that they may have life and have it to the full. The fullness of life we find in Christ. Abundant life, a good life, an active life, a happy life, a life, yes, that has sufferings, but those sufferings have meaning for us. We never lose hope because the Good Shepherd is with us. And he guarantees our future happiness and our present security and peace. Lord Jesus, help us to follow you into that fullness of life. And Jesus here describes himself as the gate, the gate that leads into that pasture where we find the fullness of life. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. We know from other passages that Jesus is the only gate. He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to God. By his name alone are men saved. Jesus puts it this way in another passage in the Gospel of John. No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me or except through me, right? through this way and through this truth and through this life. 
And so not only is Jesus the gate that leads to eternal life, but Jesus is the only gate. And the church teaches this, that if anyone gets to heaven, be they a Christian or a non-Christian, if any non-baptized person gets to heaven, they don't do it without Jesus. They do it with a grace that comes from the cross, that comes through the church, that works through their conscience when they try to live a good life, when they try to do what's right according to their conscience. They have an implicit desire for baptism. We call that the baptism by desire. But Jesus is still the gate for them. They just don't know it until they do. <laughs> they don't know it until they die and realize who saved them, who helped them to be good. Jesus is still the gate. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except by me. And this is helpful for us to make our life clear, to make sure that we don't get lost in the weeds of life. Lord Jesus, help me not to get caught up in all the minutiae, all the small daily decisions that make me lose my peace, all the small little things that I have to worry about, which are important enough, right? That's the matter of my life. But really, at times in our life, it's good for us to step back and say, how decided am I to be a Christian? How committed am I to Christ and to his teaching and to a Christian way of life? Lord Jesus, have I really cast my lot with you? Am I really convinced that only you have the words of eternal life, as St. Peter puts it in John 6? Only you have the words of eternal life. Am I convinced, Lord, that only you are the gate to abundant life and eternal life? I only come to God. I only come, therefore, to my own happiness and my own peace through you. And at times in our life, it's good to reforge a kind of conversion, to reforge a bigger decision, to do this, to be committed to God, to be committed to Christ, and therefore to convert, to turn away from anything that is opposed to our life in Christ, anything that disappoints God, anything that dampens God's life in me, any obstacle to holiness, any habit of sin or any unhealthy attachment that I have. It's good to try to recognize those things. And as we say yes to Christ and, and enter through Christ, who is the only gate, the only way to God, we're totally happy leaving things behind, right? We're totally happy getting rid of things that hinder us on the way. We're totally okay, and we voluntarily turn our back on everything else. Why don't you give yourself to God once and for all, really, now? St. Josemir writes very forcefully, powerfully in the way. Why don't you give yourself to God once and for all, really, now? And perhaps some of us have had those moments in life where we made that big decision, we made that big jump, we cut with some tire, we took on some practice of the faith, we really decided, right, to make a good confession and start over and be better, right? and not just in one little way, but in lots of ways all at once, perhaps, to pray more and to stop sinning in some way and to take our faith more seriously. But over time, those kinds of big conversions, they can, they can get watered down. Right? They can kind of be diluted, by a little attachment here, a little lack of generosity there, a little bad habit that creeps in here, a little lack of faith, a little lukewarmness over here. And before we know it, we've lost that fervor of our conversion and we've lost the vibrancy of our Christian life. 
And so at times it's good for us to reforge that commitment to Christ, to reforge that vibrant Christian life, to reestablish for, for ourselves the ideal of the abundance of life in Christ. Why don't you give yourself to God once and for all, really, now? I've been reading Francis de Sales' Introduction to the Devout Life. Again, I read it in college, and I remembered it made a big impression on me. And I've been reading, really, I've been listening to it in the car, which is not the same. Uh, it's better to read a book, I think, than to listen to it. But at times, all you can do is listen in the car, because you're in the car a lot. Um, so I've been listening to Francis de Sales' Introduction to the Devout Life in the car. And in the beginning, he has these meditations where he has you imagine these drastic kind of situations or these drastic contrasts, like imagining death and imagining judgment and those big themes that help us put life in perspective. And in one of them, he has us imagine the choice between hell and heaven, the choice between life with God and happiness forever in heaven and eternal dissatisfaction, eternal pain, eternal loss in hell. And after he kind of paints a picture to help our imagination, he prays about it and he, and he tries to help us pray about it. And this is what he writes. Oh hell, I abhor you now and forever. I abhor your griefs and torments, your endless misery, the unceasing blasphemies and maledictions which you pour out upon my God. And turning to you, O blessed paradise, eternal glory, unfading happiness, I choose you forever as my abode, your glorious mansions, your precious and abiding tabernacles. O my God, I bless your mercy, which gives me the power to choose. What an incredible power we have. Our Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you have given us the power of free will. And with that free will, we have the power to determine our eternal destiny. We have the power to determine the shape that our life will take on this earth and the fate of our life into eternity with God forever in heaven or eternally frustrated outside of God in hell. And we know Lord, we know that we can't use our freedom well without your help. And yet, nevertheless, it's part of your mercy. I bless your mercy, which gives me the power to choose, the power to choose between life and death, the power to choose between virtue and sin, the power to choose between fidelity and infidelity, the power ultimately, ultimately to choose between heaven and hell. Lord, I don't trust myself. As St. Josemaria used to say, and as St. Philip Neri used to say, Lord, I trust you, but... I don't trust myself. And so help me use my freedom well. Help me to make these choices well. Oh, Jesus, Savior, I accept your eternal love and praise you for the promise you have given me of a place prepared for me in that blessed Jerusalem where I shall love and bless you forever. And this is an image of conversion, turning our back on hell and turning our soul towards heaven, turning our back on anything that keeps us from heaven and turning our soul once again resolutely towards life in Christ. How does God want me to live? How does Christ want me to live? What does it mean to enter into the gate? What does it mean to have him as my shepherd? I'll never forget a number of years ago, I probably told this story in a previous meditation, 
But a number of years ago, I was on a plane. I was already a priest. And we were on the runway getting ready for takeoff. And I was sitting next to this gentleman who was probably in his 60s or so. And he was on his cell phone. And he was having this very animated conversation with a friend of his, a, a, a woman friend of his. And he kept saying, listen, just do it. Just do it. You know it's the right thing to do. You need to do this. Just do it. Don't worry. Just do it. And then it really caught my ear when he when he said, all of heaven is pulling for you. All of heaven is on your side. All of heaven is pulling for you, rooting for you to do this. Just do it. And I don't know what he was talking about, um, but it certainly sounded like some sort of big life-changing decision, something to have, having to do with God and perhaps the church. Like maybe, I don't know, to get married in the church or to go to confession after a long time or to convert, right, to enter RCIA. Whatever it was, it was like some sort of big, life-changing, uh, conversion-like uh, situation. And he kept telling her, just do it. And then all of heaven is pulling for you. And then at one point he said, you won't believe this, but there's a priest sitting next to me here. Talk to him. And so he hands me the phone and I'm like, hello. And this lady, <laughs> this lady's like, are you really a priest? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, that's so amazing. What a coincidence. And then I didn't know what to say. You know, I, I, I could have been better about it and asked her what was going on, how I could help her. But I was just kind of flummoxed by the fact that he handed me the phone. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll pray for you. Take care. And I handed the phone back to the guy. In any event, um, it always struck me, you know, how he was, how he was encouraging her with those words. All of heaven is pulling for you. And this is true of our life in Christ. This is true of our conversion. This is true of our decision to go to heaven and not to hell. That God is pulling for us. Jesus is pulling for us. All the saints are pulling for us to make this choice. Consider that Jesus Christ, St. Francis goes on to make this point. Consider that Jesus Christ enthroned in heaven looks down upon you in loving invitation. O beloved one, come unto me. Enjoy forever in the eternal blessedness of my love. Behold his mother, yearning over you with maternal tenderness. Courage, my child. Do not despise the goodness of my son or my earnest prayers for thy salvation. Behold the saints who have left you their example, the millions of holy souls who long after you, desiring earnestly that you may one day be forever joined to them in their song of praise urging upon you that the road to heaven is not so hard to find as the world would have you think. Press on boldly, dear friend, they cry. Whoever will ponder well the path by which we came here will discover that we attain to these present delights by sweeter joys than any this world can give. All of heaven is pulling for us. Right? Jesus is telling us, come, right? come here, come towards me, come through the gate. Our Lady is telling us, take courage, come. And the saints tell us, press on boldly, dear friend. It's not that hard to get here. It's not as hard as you think. Nevertheless, we know, Jesus, that it is hard. And so St. Francis has Our Lady say, courage, my child. Courage, my child. Do not despise the goodness of my son. And the saints say, press on boldly, dear friend. Courage. 
Press on boldly. And so why do we need courage? Why do we need to walk boldly in this way that is Christ? Well, because it's not easy and because it's difficult. And our Lord himself says this about the path to heaven. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. But the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. The gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. There are few who find it. And so we need courage. And we need to be encouraged by the example of the saints and the prayers of the saints. And by our Lord, who's the good shepherd. Why? Because it's not, it's not an easy path. We have to have courage to overcome our sinfulness. We have to have courage to fight against our defects. That conversion, that turning towards God, it's not easy. It takes tenacity. It takes courage. We have to have courage, Lord, to overcome our fear of admitting our sinfulness. Right? One thing is the courage to fight against our sins once we recognize them. The other is the courage even to admit it in the first place. And this is hard at times. We we don't want to deal with something and so we just turn a blind eye to it. We don't want to have the humility and the confusion of having to admit that we're not facing something in, in the right way. We've got some bad habit. And so it's much easier, right? The, the gate that leads to destruction, the road that leads to destruction is much easier because it's easier to say, oh, no, this isn't really a problem or I don't have to worry about this until later keep putting off dealing with some difficulty or some character trait that we should we should continue to work on or some lack of trust in God. Right? It's hard. It takes courage to admit, yes, I don't live my faith well enough or yes, I give in to this anger or yes, I have a habit of falling into this or that sin and I'm not really I'm not really ready or resolute about fighting against it. It takes courage to fight against our sinfulness and it takes courage, Jesus, to admit our sinfulness. And then, of course, these days, it takes courage to be a consistent Christian because so many in the world don't understand where we're coming from. So many in the world see our life and our beliefs as a kind of rebuke to their own life or to their own beliefs. And so the heat is on again, right? It's not on all the way as it was in the times of the Roman martyrs. But the heat of being a Christian is being turned up. Um, people will disagree with us. People will persecute us in different ways. People might attack us. And so that's that takes courage. It takes courage to live in such a way that we are okay with a certain level of misunderstanding, a certain level of persecution, a certain level of exclusion um, from, from others, from the lives of others, because they find out that we're Christian or they they know we're Christian. And so that makes the road narrow as well. And then Jesus, we also fear just missing out. Right? We have that FOMO, that FOMO, that fear of missing out, that the things we leave behind in order to follow you, those sinful habits are just the worldliness or the uh, ego gratification, the careerism, right? The worldly way of life that we're are used to, well, it takes courage to leave it behind. It takes courage to be 
detached from all that. And so Our Lady says, take courage. And the saints say, press on boldly. And Jesus himself says, take heart, take courage. In the world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. In the world, you have tribulations, but be of good cheer. Take courage, because I have overcome the world. And Jesus' good shepherd is so important to pray about in this context of courage, of, of difficulty, because the sheep find strength in the shepherd. They find protection in the shepherd. And today's response to our psalm is that incredible Psalm 23, which is so popular and uh, so off-sided that perhaps we think, oh, this is just a nice little poem. It's a little bit corny or whatever. But no, it's very powerful, very beautiful. And we slow it down and we take it to our prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In verdant pastures, he gives me repose. Beside restful waters, he leads me. He refreshes my soul. He guides me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the dark valley, I fear no evil. For you are at my side with your rod and your staff that give me courage. What an incredible thing. What an incredible image of our life with you, Jesus, as our shepherd. It's not that we won't be in a dark valley. It's not that we won't be in that valley of death or be confronted with evil in ourselves and the world and others. But since you're at my side, we're not afraid. We don't fear it because your rod and your staff, right, your, your strength, your protection, give us courage. And courage is not the absence of fear. The courageous person is not someone who doesn't feel fear. The courageous person is someone who's okay with being afraid. And the Christian is okay with being afraid because Jesus is at his side. And Jesus is, Jesus is his shepherd with his rod and his staff protecting. You spread the table before me in the sight of my foes, even though the enemies are there, right? We can, we're still okay. <laughs> you spread the table before me in the sight of my foes. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and kindness follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for years to come. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. So Jesus, you are the gate through which the sheep enter, but you're also the shepherd that lead the sheep to that gate and through that gate. And if the gate is narrow, Lord, and hard, and we need courage to enter it, you supply the courage that we lack. You supply the resoluteness that we fail to have. You supply the determination when we're weak and we're flagging. And so we thank, Lord, and we pray, Lord, about this decision to enter by you, that you're the only way to God. We want to reject everything else. And when that kind of decision, that kind of life-changing conversion is proposed to, proposed to us, once again, in our prayer, when the first reaction is fear, and it should be, and that's normal. Well, Lord Jesus, be our strength, be our fortitude. Give us courage to make the decision we need to make 
to convert, to cast her lot with you, to turn her back on sin. St. Peter in today's second reading also talks about Jesus being the shepherd of our soul in the context of suffering. If you are patient when you suffer for doing what is good, this is a grace before God. A very clear and helpful teaching. If we suffer for doing what's good, it's a grace before God. It's not a bad thing. In God's sight, it's a good thing. And therefore for us, it's really a good thing. Blessed are you when men persecute you and utter all kinds of things falsely because of my name. If you are patient when you suffer for doing what is good, this is a grace before God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should also follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he returned no insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Instead, he handed himself over to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body upon the cross, so that free from sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you had gone astray like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus is the good shepherd, the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. We strayed away like lost sheep, like bad sheep, but we've returned to him because he died for us, because he took our sins upon himself. And taking our sins upon yourself, Lord, you opened up the way to life for us. You came that we may have life and have it abundantly. And that takes trust. And another great theme of Good Shepherd Sunday, of this Psalm 23, of John 10, is trust. The sheep is not a good sheep unless he trusts the shepherd. And the shepherd is not a good shepherd unless he's trustworthy. And Jesus is totally trustworthy. And one of the things that we have to address when we think about fear of missing out or fear of suffering or fear of making a a stronger decision to live a Christian life is, do we trust God? Do I really trust God with my life? Do I trust that God knows better than I do? What makes a happy life? Do I trust that God can take care of me more than I can take care of myself without God? Do I trust that God loves me more than I love myself? Do I trust that I will be happier as a Christian. Because unless we get to that point, well, you know, our Christian life is always kind of, uh, kind of limited, kind of handicapped, right? It's, it limps without that radical trust in God to say, no, I trust that this is the best possible life, that Jesus came to bring me abundant life. And anything that says otherwise is an illusion. It's an illusion to think, well, if I have like half a Christian life and half of a materialist, secularist life, I'll be happier. No, that's not true. A deluded Christian life is less happy than a full Christian life. Or I'll have, you know, you know, 70% of the virtues, but I'm really not going to try with patience or, or uh, laziness because those are too hard and I'm just not up for it. And I'll be happier that way. No, you won't. No, you won't. It's sin. Compromise with sin. Vices don't make us happier. Right? They don't. And so the more we um, trust that God will make us happy, the more we trust that his path, his way 
leads to abundant life, well, the more we enter into it and the more we experience that. And the less we trust it, the more compromised we are. And the image of Jesus as a good shepherd is an image of trust. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. The Lord is my shepherd. He is going to take care of me and he does take care of me. So Jesus, we ask you for the courage. We need to follow you more closely, more radically. We ask you for the free choice, the good exercise of our freedom to follow you more closely, to follow you more radically, to turn away from things that keep us from you. We ask you, we ask you for the trust that all of this entails, or the trust that empowers that choice and empowers that courage. We go to Our Lady, St. Francis de Sales, imagines Our Lady um, in heaven, encouraging us, rooting us on to make the right choice for heaven, for God, against sin, against the loss of God. Mothers always want the best for their children, and Our Lady in heaven is no exception. Our Lady, our Mother, Queen of Heaven, Mother of the Good Shepherd, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me. In this meditation, I ask your help to put them into effect, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.